listening to My Pocket Psych, the podcast all about the psychology of the workplace. Each episode, we look at the topics that can make our working lives difficult and explore how you can take action to improve things. We want to help you move from simply surviving work to thriving at work. My Pocket Psych is brought to you by Work Life Psych, a team of workplace psychologists who are experts in coaching, training, and structured development programs. You can find out more about how we help people grow and develop at work by visiting our website, worklifepsych.com. Hello and welcome to episode 56 of My Pocket Psych, the podcast all about the psychology of the workplace. I'm Richard McKinnon. I'm joined by my co-host, Pilar Orti. Hi, Pilar. How's it going? It is going very well. I am really excited. Well, excited? Yes, I'm really looking forward to today's episode. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> well, if you keep up with that kind of positivity, I, I know it's going to go well. <laughs> we shall see. We shall see. So, um, yes, what are we going to be talking about? Well, today's the, the fourth in our series all about psychological flexibility in action. And if this is the, the first episode that you're listening to, very quick recap. Um, the first episode of this series was number 53 when we talked with Ross McIntosh all about um, values. Um, and then in episode 54, we talked with Dr. Rachel Skews all about using this acceptance and commitment theory in uh, coaching. Um, and then in episode 55, you and I had a discussion all about mindful focus on the present, this notion of uh, giving your attention to the here and now. Three of the core processes within, within this model of psychological flexibility. And this fourth one today is all about thoughts, all about what's going on in our minds. So potentially that's why you're excited and interested, is it? Definitely. I, uh, I love, uh, well, the, I don't know if this is the title you're going to be using, but the working title you have here is seeing thoughts for what they are. And it's, it's quite evocative because I have lots of thoughts and I have learned to let my thoughts go in and out of my brain. So I'm really interested and intrigued by what else there is to do around that. Well, that's great. Th that is the title I think we'll use. Yeah. <laughs> and, and seeing thoughts for, for what they are uh, and not what they say they are is a phrase we use a lot in ACT. Um, you know, our thoughts can sound very demanding or insistent or scary. And actually, this is all about learning to see them just as thoughts, just as passing mental experiences. Um, not that they're not real. It just means that we can develop um, more of a distant relationship with them so they don't have the impact on us, on our behavior, that they might if we weren't aware of them. So it really is about cultivating a different kind of relationship with what's going on in your mind. Mm. And you've got a note here saying that you, did you recently uh, run a workshop around this or was the presentation? Yes, I need to, I need to think about when this is actually going to go live because we are recording this uh, at a different time to when the, the podcast will go out. But, um, uh, just at the beginning of this month, we're recording this in January. So at the very beginning of this month, um, was the Division of Occupational Psychology annual conference. So that's the, the big thinking shindig of all the workplace psychologists, um, in the UK. We'll go to that once a year. And, um, I ran a workshop at that with Rachel Skews and Rachel was on episode 54 and it was all about that topic. Actually, it was all about using acceptance and commitment theory um, in coaching. And as we've touched on before, ACT 
this theoretical framework can be used in lots of different contexts. Um, listeners to this show will be familiar with me talking about ACT and psychological flexibility in the workplace. That's the context we work with. But it can be used in social work, in education, in clinical psychology, in counseling and therapy. You know, it's a very flexible framework. So we, we wanted to take that framework and demonstrate to other psychologists who, who coach. This is another way that you can approach that context of coaching. Here are some principles that you could adopt. And it was really enjoyable because you might imagine the kinds of questions you get from an audience of psychologists uh, are different to the kinds of questions that you get from maybe a general audience that that's more diverse. So uh, I think it's fair to say Rachel and I were kept on our toes, <laughs> <laughs> um, but we were lucky because we had an entire morning. Um, we did three hour sessions set aside for us. And that's, to my mind, a bit of a luxury at a conference like that. It was really great. We were able to drill down into the six processes. But one of the first things that we covered was this notion of ACT emphasizing the relationship we have with our inner experiences, the relationship we have with our thoughts. That's really where a lot of emphasis is put. Rather than, um, you know, cheer yourself up, feel positive or fake it till you make it or, or even try and change those thoughts because they're bad. And these are, you know, putting it very quickly. These are other approaches to coaching that people might encounter. Specifically, the that's a bad thought. Just say it differently and it will be a good thought. What we're saying here in, in the ACT framework is thoughts are thoughts. It doesn't really matter. What matters is you is what you do. And you can cultivate skills so that these thoughts don't really act like a lens you're seeing the world through, but more they're along for the ride. They come with you, but they're not telling you what to do. Um, they're not giving you instructions. And th that's quite difficult for some people to get their head around. But I have to say, by the end of the three hours, uh, we'd had a great experience with the group. Um, I think we had about 35 people attend the workshop and really interactive, great discussion and all about the practicalities of how would you explain these things to your clients? So we might have some listeners who attended that workshop because we, we um, gave this podcast as one of the follow-up resources for people who wanted to learn a little bit more. So maybe let's turn our attention away from uh, all of us psychologists back to a typical person who's listening to this and this notion of, well, technically what we call diffusion. This is the skill we're talking about. ACT practitioners will call that diffusion. And by practicing diffusion, we develop this more helpful relationship with our inner experiences, with our thoughts that enables us to, in part, build a skill of psychological flexibility. Good. So let's just go back a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> a bit, Richard, because uh, I, I was left behind in the room with a psychologist, so I'm, I'm, I'm catching up with you. Um, so if we look for either listeners who have been with us for a while or listeners who are joining us for today's episode for the first time, how does this, so this, this concept of seeing thoughts for what they are, where do they come into what we've been covering in f uh, psychological flexibility, either in the process time-wise, or how do th does it connect to some of the other things we've been talking about? Mm -hmm. So, you know, one of the good things about using ACT to frame coaching, for example, is that it's not a strict process. It, 
it doesn't involve you starting at point A and finishing at point G or something. Um, so it's very context dependent mm. and you might start with this particular uh, principle, with this process with a client, or you might work on the present moment awareness to help them be mindfully aware to notice what's going on for them inside and outside. And maybe if someone's working on those noticing skills, they're able to then notice what their thoughts sound like or notice the impact that some thoughts have on them, uh, on their mood or their behavior, or that when someone has clarified their values, what they find really important and meaningful in life, they're, they're then able to uh, notice when some of their thoughts or impulses go in the direction away from uh, their values and the ones that go towards their values. And they're able to see the difference between thoughts that are values aligned and ones that are not. And they're able to make a conscious decision as to what they do in a situation and don't respond automatically. So these skills all support each other. Um, on on paper and and on a screen, they're often rep represented by some kind of uh, pentagram diagram with all of them, you know, linking uh, to each other. It matters less where you start and more that someone develops all of these skills at some point. This is all about what's going on inside. This is all about getting connected with and understanding the nature of our thoughts. And let's be honest, that's not something we spend a lot of time doing. We, we don't really sit back and go, hmm, what am I saying to myself? Or where do thoughts come from? Most of the time, you know, we're in a sense of, uh, you know, maybe busyness. We're doing stuff. We don't really pay attention to what's going on in our minds. And, and actually, it's maybe only after the behavior, after we've done something, we might then reflect on what led me to do that thing that maybe I'm less happy with. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. And I'm really seeing, uh, I can absolutely see the connection, uh, the overlap, the how sometimes we'll be more, I suppose, uh, more, we'll notice more one of these steps. No, it's not a step, mm. step is the wrong, the, the wrong word, but one of these aspects of um, psychological flexibility. So that's, yeah, I can, I can see, and it's really good reminder that, Really interesting, the, the values piece also that sometimes, you know, as uh, I can imagine, as I am more aware of my values, I can be more aware of the thoughts I have and I can link it. So, yeah, I, I hope listeners, <laughs> I hope I'm not confusing listeners a lot more. But yeah, that, that, that made lots of sense to me. Well, good. Well, that's a good, good starting point. And, and, um, as I said in one of the previous episodes in this series, you know, um, I'm, I'm covering these topics out of the order that I often do uh, when talking about them, just to illustrate that you can approach them from different directions. And so th this this notion of, of diffusing or, or putting a bit of space between you and a thought, because fusion in this model is, is when, you know, you fuse with an idea, you fuse with a uh, you can't see this. I'm putting my hands together very tightly. <laughs> you, you fuse with a thought such that it becomes a literal truth. And that could be a thought you have about yourself or about others, but it's the opposite of the psychological flexibility we're trying to develop. It's a sort of an inflexibility where, because I think it, it's true. And of course, if you just pause for a moment, you'll know that you've had thousands upon thousands of thoughts so far today. And quite a few of those had no bearing on what you were doing. Quite a few of them 
were a bit random. Many of them will have been helpful if they guided you through a complex task, but, but many of them will have popped into your awareness um, out of nowhere. Uh, and so our thoughts aren't of um, the same quality, uh, the same level of helpfulness or relevance to what we're doing. But sometimes we, we, we pick something we hear in our mind and we just run with it. And noticing that you don't have to is core to this. Noticing that you can just let a thought go by once you've experienced it, once you've noticed it, without telling you what to do next. And that's that's quite a reach for most of us as human beings, because a lot of the time we act in a kind of an automatic pilot mode. And it's only when maybe it's a bit quieter, we've got a chance to reflect and, and pause, that we do notice what's going on inside us and then notice what we're saying to ourselves. And, and self-talk is, is one aspect of, uh, uh, of our inner experience, of our thoughts, you know, the voice that we hear in our minds. Um, but, but some of the other things that come up can take the form of a narrative or a story, you know, the same old story about us or the world or someone in our life. It just keeps appearing. It's not like we, we reinvent it. It's just the same old thing comes up or it could be images from our past or imagined images for our future. So when I talk about thoughts, it's, it's basically all of those inner experiences that are going on in our minds because our minds never stop. Um, you know, from a psychological point of view, um, they are constantly producing content for us <laughs> to consume. And, you know, from a biological point of view, you might think, well, you don't think when you're asleep, but actually our brains are busier when we're asleep than where we are when we're conscious. So we've been kind of gifted this thinking engine without any instructions and without a break. And this skill of seeing thoughts for what they are, not what they scream at us that they are, is not a break, but it does uh, allow us to let those, those thoughts just keep going without interrupting us or without getting in our way. And so you mentioned diffusion. Where, where, what is that and where does that come in then? So that, that is um, the, I guess, technical term for um, putting a bit of distance between us and all of this mental experience, between us and the thoughts. So that instead of looking through the thoughts, we're able to see the thoughts, but they're not between us and the outside world. So if you could imagine they were like a pair of glasses, diffusion is the, the capacity to take the glasses off and have a look around. And imagine, uh, you know, listeners who have glasses will, will um, maybe get this. If your glasses get smudged or dirty, it really changes your view of things. <laughs> and being able to take them off gives you a different perspective. Or when you're wearing shades and then you go indoors and then you realize, oh, I need to take these off so I can see properly. Diffusion is a little bit like being able to say, well, look, hold on, I can have that thought. There it is, but it's not going to tell me what to do next. It's not going to force my behavior, or it's not going to prevent me from doing something that could be helpful to me as well. I love the image. That's diffusion. Yeah, I love the image of, of the glasses. So sorry, Richard, I interrupted. <laughs> no, <laughs> it no, been no, such no a nice uh, wrap up of your, of your explanation. <laughs> um, so if it's, if it's, so if diffusion is a skill, which I think you're saying, um, mm -hmm. how do we how do we practice that? Is there, I mean, it can, can, is it broken down into things that we can look out for or things we can do? How does it work? So it, it really depends on the context. Mm. You know, if I'm working with someone, um, an example I often use is procrastination. 
and if someone is a chronic procrastinator and it's causing problems for them, they will be saying things to themselves about tasks that are having a very strong impact on their behavior. So one of the, the, the things that can really help with that is to start paying attention to the stories you're telling yourself and to be able to listen out for those thoughts that are telling you, ah, uh, you can do it tomorrow or that can wait or it's not that important or you, you deserve a break. Those kinds of thoughts that we go, yeah, yeah, I agree. I'll pause this. I'll come back to it next week. And, and the skill itself is, you know, some people can, can take to that quite quickly. I've worked with people who, who swore blind. They didn't have self-talk. They, they didn't recognize thoughts as talk. So we, we maybe had to take a different tack. But the, the, the practice of this, the development of this is not dependent on present moment awareness or, or mindful focus, but it's really helped by mindful focus. So we might start with uh, purposefully paying attention and being able to draw our awareness inside and then put it back outside and, and practice those things that we talked about previously. And if you're able to notice, then you can start to use image and metaphor because of course, thoughts aren't tangible. We can't pick them up and put them in a bucket and come back to them later. They're not like pieces of paper. They're really, really intangible. And so emphasizing imagery and metaphor and stories to help us get our heads around the fact that something so invisible and intangible has such an impact on our behavior. One of the really simple things that we can do is start to label thoughts. Now, labeling is often viewed as a negative thing. And, and I would agree that if you start labeling people, then that's not particularly helpful. But instead of saying, oh, all these thoughts are like a highway of just mad traffic coming at me. It's just, it's just really, really, um, unbearable. It would be the equivalent of standing on the side of the road and, and calling out the names of the cars as they went past the brands or the colors or the types of vehicles. We're being more specific about what it is. So by labeling thoughts, we'd say, oh, well, that, that's me judging myself. That's a memory. Um, that sounds like a bit of self-criticism. Oh, that's me predicting tomorrow that hasn't happened yet. Oh, that's an image of, of failure. That's an image of success. So instead of, you know, being at the mercy of these or the receiving end of these, we just start to notice them and label them as concepts. And that, that can actually help put a distance between us and these inner experiences. Taking time to just notice what's going through our minds. Um, you know, sitting still, turning our attention in and observing what they're like and, and also observing that we don't have to act on them. There's a really nice uh, image shared with me a while back about um, anyone in the UK, if they can identify with a complex um, railway station with lots and lots of lines going through it. If you're sitting on the platform waiting for your train to come in, you don't necessarily jump on the first train that comes in. You want to make sure it's going to your destination. You get on the wrong train in the UK and it could lead to all kinds of problems. So it's the same with our thoughts. If you can picture yourself on the platform and the first train that's coming through is labeled self-criticism, well, you mightn't want to get on that. So you can opt to stay where you are and let the train go through the station and keep going to where it was. You're not trying to stop it. You're not trying to get it off the rails. You're just letting that train go through. And then the next one might be embarrassing memory number 342. And you don't want that one either, but you're going to let it be because it will pass through. 
Um, so just being able to observe them, see them for what they are, um, move away from feeling like they're instructions or threats or truths. And of course, there will be truths in there. There will be accurate memories. That's not the problem. It's problematic when we do things or experience things or we do things to not experience things. And that's one of the ways that we can trip ourselves up when we try and control our thoughts or extinguish or remove memories from our minds. Because as, as Rachel used in our, our workshop, the, the, the really good example, you know, um, she had this slide with a close-up of two massive human eyes staring out of the screen. And in big text, it said, do not be anxious. <laughs> and, you know, you, that's not how our minds work. And, and in the history of, you know, bad situations, no one has ever calmed down when, when someone told them to calm down. That, that's not how, how we operate. But, but if I tell you, don't think of a white bear, it's really hard to, to try and not think about the thing I've just placed in your conscious awareness. And so if you have a thought that's bothering you, your impulse from your whole life's experience could be to try and um, debate with that thought or change that thought or somehow not have it. Diffusion is the skill of noticing that you have that thought and, you know, bringing it along for the ride, but not letting it tell you where you're going. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. It does. And I was going to suggest a pink elephant, but you beat me. There you go. Yeah. But now I'm thinking of a pink elephant. Thank you. <laughs> Another, uh, that image about the train and uh, considering whether you want to jump on a train or not, if it's going to take you to where you want. Um, I find that image really interesting. And it's very full of strong images today. Um, and ACT is all about images because this stuff's so intangible and philosophical. It, it can be distant. From, from people, it can seem a bit unattainable. So we do need to bring it down to both practicalities and images that are going to resonate with people. And I suppose you're already starting to, you already started to cover some of the things we do when our thoughts are coming, either trying to push them away or, or, uh, you were saying, uh, also, um, uh, there, there was another one, <laughs> but I can't remember that. So you've already try and change yes, them maybe or, to, or not have them yes, or remove them. Yeah. Yes. yeah we, we engage with them and, and kind of wrestle with them. Yeah. And an image I took away from a, from a workshop uh, last year was, you know, that the thoughts are like a, like a chimp. They're stronger than us. So you don't want to start that wrestle because you're going to waste all of your time wrestling with that thought. And it's going to take you away from what you want to do in life. And that stuff is the values based stuff, the stuff that gives you purpose and meaning, the stuff you really want to engage with. That's harder to do when you're caught up in your own mind, wrestling with thoughts that you don't like or don't want to experience. Mm. But I want to underline that that's, that's our human experience is to shy away from these things or not want to have them. And, and another way that we can make life more difficult for us is, is to evaluate ourselves along the lines of what's in our minds. So if I think bad thoughts, I'm a bad person. Whereas you can have all kinds of thoughts, you know, many of which you'd never share with even the person closest to you in your life, but it doesn't make you a bad person. And so, you know, taking the evaluation of the thoughts to be good or bad and then mixing those up with you as a person means that if we have those thoughts, it can be quite upsetting and therefore we struggle with them or we want to get rid of them. Uh, we want to change them or they, they act as some kind of warning, which we feel prevents us from doing certain things. So imagine, you know, thoughts that sound like, um, don't speak up, you'll make a fool of yourself. 
or what's the point of going for that job? You'll never get it. Um, or, you know, don't say no. They'll think you're a bad colleague. Acting on those, taking those as literal truths, uh, could get us into all kinds of, well, situations we don't want to experience. Whereas if we say, well, okay, mind, thank you. Thank you for that suggestion. But actually what's really important to me is advancing my career. So I'm going to do it anyway. Even though you're giving me this thought, thank you. Uh, I'm, I'm going to do the thing that's meaningful to me, or I am going to speak up, or I am going to be patient in this situation, um, whichever is in alignment with your values. So if, if we stop acting on Im impulses going through our minds, we need something else to direct us in a general sense. And that's where the values become uh, relevant again. They give us this, uh, this internal compass that we've spoken about before. And, uh, and what are, this is fascinating. What are some of the other uh, things that happen? Some of the, the other traps that we fall into when, uh, when we're, when we're, when our thoughts are coming to us, I suppose. Well, we can often uh, ruminate over things. And I, you know, I would distinguish, um, between rumination and reflection. Mm. And if, if we, you know, look back mentally, uh, on an experience and we try to identify what we would do differently next time or what we've learned from it or what we're going to do because of it, that's reflection. But if we are doing the equivalent of going around and around and around about this situation in our minds, and we're not taking any action and we're not identifying things we're going to do, then we're ruminating. It's the psychological equivalent of, you know, picking at a scab. It's doing us no, no good whatsoever. And in fact, it could be making things worse. At, at its best, it's just slowing us down from where we want to get to because we're caught up in our minds. So noticing rumination can be a really good uh, step on the road to developing this, this skill of diffusion, noticing that you're just going around and around and talking to yourself about things, but not moving any further. And rumination takes energy. And it takes our attention away from what could be really worthwhile for us, uh, engaging with people close to us or paying attention at work or, you know, listening to someone in a meeting. And, you know, we're really good at this. We can spot when someone is ruminating and is caught up in their own thoughts. They're, they're physically there, but their face says, you know, the lights are, are on, but no one's at home. Um, and so one of the big uh, elements of the ethos of ACT is, that, you know, avoiding getting caught up in your mind and getting out of there and doing something worthwhile in the outside world, in the physical space, or, or what practitioners call the, the five sensing uh, experience, you know, what you can see, touch, smell, taste, etc., rather than just what you're experiencing in your mind. And to be really um, blunt about it, sometimes we mix those things up just because we've thought it. We think that then it exists that way in the five senses experiencing world. And I don't want to say real world because our thoughts are real mm. to us. So it's not, you know, false world and real world. But, you know, sometimes we'll have a very strong mental experience and it could convince us to go right instead of left. But nothing's happened yet. <laughs> Nothing in the in the outside world and the five senses experiences has, has given us any information whether to go left or right. And so um, we're maybe jumping to conclusions. We're maybe acting in an automatic way, in an unhelpful automatic way. So because our, our thoughts are complex and busy and there's so many of them, it can seem a bit daunting 
this whole notion of, of seeing thoughts for what they are. But actually, it can also be really simple, which is to just notice you have thoughts, um, notice when your thoughts are going in a direction away from where you want to travel and noticing neutral thoughts, noticing unpleasant thoughts, noticing lovely thoughts, um, but being clear on what you want to do despite those thoughts. And I've, I've said that word so many times <laughs> now, but the, yeah, but the mantra here is, uh, you know, put this on a post-it note and put it on your monitor. A thought is just a thought. It's, it's, really true it's really easy to remember and it it can make all the difference when we upset ourselves based on what's bouncing around in our mind because we've forgotten the difference between five senses experiences and inner experiences we conflate the two and we give in a sense our thoughts a lot more power than they really should have so I don't know if you um, have you got more to say about this specific um, about about thoughts. <laughs> I've got. Lo- I'm a psychologist. Oh, I mean, oh, yes. you know, <laughs> <laughs> because my, um, my question was going to be, yeah, yeah. My yeah. question was going to be then, uh, and it's similar to my first question, but now it, obviously um, different because of the depth in which we've gone into it. So, if we see psychological flexibility as a as a skill. Um, what, how, how do I formulate this? All my thoughts are going in my in my brain. <laughs> how is this connected then? So we know it's not a step. Uh, and you've already mentioned, for example, understanding values uh, and how that might be connected to what action we take uh, from our thoughts, mm. for example. So how is this connected, for example, with acceptance and commitment? Um, sorry, that's a kind of coaching. Um, but the, how is that connected then to values, to the mindful attention, to the here and now, etc., to some of the other concepts? Or, or how can we mm. how can we connect it to start to think, okay, this is happening now, I'm noticing this. How do I move forward? How do I take action? Mm. So I, I often just summarize this whole um, lump <laughs> of psychological flexibility as letting go. Let go of the struggle to try and control your inner experiences and focus on taking action external to you that's uh, in alignment with the, the kind of person you want to be. And it's not f- forget you have thoughts, forget you have an inner experience, but stop trying to be in the driving seat of those thoughts and direct them different places. Let them be. You're going to have them anyway. Don't try stop, change, um, increase or decrease them. Um, have a different kind of relationship with them where they're more like a friendly neighbor than a really badly behaved tenant in your spare bedroom. Um, they're always going to be with you, but they're not the kind of uh, presence that, that makes life difficult for you because you let them. That, that's the difference. And so if we're mindful, we'll notice that we're having thoughts that we might be tempted to struggle with, but we know that we have values that we can use to direct our behavior. And also, if we're okay, and, and we'll talk about this in a future episode, if we're able to start noticing our tendency to move away from uncomfortable situations, because we're kind of wired to do that, then we can make the choice to experience the discomfort because there's a bigger picture and it's worthwhile experiencing that discomfort because we're on the road to something meaningful. And I just mean psychological discomfort like boredom or uncertainty or ambiguity, things like that. So they all support each other, but we we don't really 
get the skills of psychological flexibility if we're not able to practice all of these. So it's great to be mindful. It's really great to have present moment awareness. But if you're not prepared to take action, then it's kind of passive. Uh, it, it's great to be able to defuse from your thoughts, but then you need to know what you stand for and you need to commit to take some action in the direction of what you stand for. And it's really great to know what your values are. But you need then to note that you could fuse with your values. Um, you know, this notice, notion of defusion, uh, we can fuse with anything. And I've had this discussion with colleagues as a kind of a parlor game where we're trying to identify something in the world that you can't be unhelpfully fused with. Um, so you could become fused with your values if you start to use your values uh, against other people or if you excuse your behavior because of your values and it wasn't appropriate or helpful or, you know, um, supportive of your other values. So they're, they're mutually supporting and the journey through them could be different for each of us. Our experience of them could be really quite different. And because they're principles, not rules, we can learn them in very different ways. And the different contexts I've mentioned means that we would. If I was in therapy and I was overcoming trauma from my childhood, we would be going through these act principles in, in quite a different way than if I'm sitting in a room um, supporting someone to abandon their habit of procrastination, for example, or helping them identify career direction or helping them learn how to speak up and speak out in the workplace. The principles are there, but the discussion that we would have would necessarily be quite different. That answers my question, <laughs> and I hope, <laughs> and I hope, listeners, um, uh, listeners' reflections too. So I would try and attempt to put this in a nutshell before we um, uh, end this episode, and we all go away and listen to our thoughts. <laughs> um, I mean, a, a thought is just a thought. So you know, the, the most important thing here is to take the time to have a think about what you're saying to yourself and. Notice what you do to try and change that, because that's the habit that most of us have. We don't like something, so we try and replace it with something else, or we try and put a lot of effort into somehow changing it, and, and that's taking energy from where we'd like to go. So the first step for everyone who's listening to this and wants to work on this skill would just be to pay attention to the, the inner experience and to look for trends, look for stories. It's a really uh, nice way of practicing diffusion is to name the story that's going through your mind because these stories repeat themselves. And so you're able to hold it a little bit more lightly instead of saying, oh, God, I'm no good at this. I am such a failure at work. We're able to say, oh, here comes the self-doubt story again. I keep saying that one to myself. Yeah, there's that story again. And it's a very different experience. Um So being able to notice the difference between internal and external and to notice the impact that some of these things can have on you, whether it be positive or negative. But it requires us to pay a little bit of attention. Now, next time we have uh, another act focused episode, but um, we've got an interview with a practitioner over in, ha in Hong Kong who is um, going to tell us all about how he puts ACT principles into practice in the workplace, but in a quite specific context, which is workplace bullying. And then the episode after that, we're going to come back and uh, it doesn't sound nice, but it is interesting. Uh, we're going to talk about discomfort. Mm -hmm. 
um, the acceptance of discomfort to, to allow us to go and do great things, things that are helpful to us or things in the direction of our valued goals. Then we're going to have a look at this uh, self-concept and being able to view ourselves flexibly, which is a really key part of this. And then we're going to take a step back and actually look at the relevance again to the workplace. We've got a great interview with Dr. Annie Gascoigne from uh, Goldsmiths, University of London, talking about not um, a psychological flexibility, but organisational flexibility. How might these principles work at an organisational level? Now, that's our roadmap for the rest of this series on psychological flexibility, covering off each of the principles, talking to some experts in the space, and uh, digging down a little deeper into each of them. I'm conscious this may be very new to a lot of people who are listening to this, so please do get in touch with your questions. You can send us something brief on Twitter, at mypocketpsych, or if you've got a long question or a long comment, you can send it via the contact form. You can find that at worklifepsych.com slash contact. Pilar. Yes, I'm still here. Where are you? <laughs> <laughs> How are you after all of that? Are you, are you ruminating? Uh, <clears throat> maybe. Are you thinking about your thinking? I was thinking about my thinking and definitely thinking that what I find most useful about this particular concept is that uh, it's not about squashing thoughts. Uh, but it's it's about, as you say, just seeing thoughts for what they are and then doing whatever, like you say, context dependent, whatever's going to be most helpful. But I really like the fact that they are there. We're not going to try and squash them, but let's see how we can work with them best. Brilliant. Okay, there's the nutshell I was looking for. So thank you for uh, for <laughs> <laughs> summarizing it for me. Brilliant. Okay, listeners, thank you uh, again for joining us. And this is episode number 56. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks for downloading this episode of My Pocket Psych. To get in touch with questions and feedback, you can tweet us at worklifepsych or leave us a message on the contact form at www.worklifepsych.com/contact. Thanks for listening.